Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to be here. I'm David, pastor here at Current. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke 5. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22 as we continue our Walking with Jesus series, looking at the, at the, at the book of Luke and Jesus' life and ministry there. So Luke 5, starting in verse 17, going to verse 26. So one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay, to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them all, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Well, today I actually want to talk to you about Thanksgiving and Christmas. Some of you are like, Christmas still weighs off. What are you, what are you talking about? Look, I for one am all about being uh, interested in Christmas long before it comes. You know those radio stations that are playing every year, Christmas carols, earlier and earlier? I love that. I mean, they're playing them before Thanksgiving now. But this is not to say I'm going to do a message on or about Thanksgiving or Christmas. This is a message in preparation for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Because in our culture today, these two holidays give us unique opportunities as a church, as followers of Christ, in a way that no other time of the year really does. Uh, because they are essentially Christian holidays, uh, they are also major secular holidays, arguably our culture's big, biggest, which means as a church, it's our great privilege, our great honor to share the virtues of the day with the society at large. Uh, so there's all these wonder, wonderful things about the holidays. So we're Thanksgiving, of course, there's a sharing a special meal together. There's the gathering of family and friends. There's the cultivation of a heart of gratitude. And then with Christmas, of course, there's the festival of lights. There's the gift giving. There's the giving to those in great need. All of these things originate from the Bible's message of Thanksgiving and the message of Jesus' birth. In short, Thanksgiving and Christmas are God-given gifts to us as a church, as followers of Jesus, to help people not only understand the heart and true meaning behind these wonderful days, but help folks understand, maybe even grasp and receive what Jesus is all about, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so we're considering today, Thanksgiving and Christmas, with enough ramp time to get ready for it, okay? I want us to be thinking about as a church, uh, as, as followers of Christ, if, this is, if that's you, who is somebody in your life you can be thinking about? A coworker, a friend, a loved one who lives in the area that you can be thinking about, you can be praying for, and you can be actively considering how you might bring them out to either something that we're doing or make use of these holidays in, in, in other, other ways. For instance, 
for those of you guys who, who are all about your calendar this far off, uh, we're going to be starting our Christmas series Anticipation, is what we're calling it, starting the first week of December and going through, of course, our big Christmas celebration on December 23rd. That's a day when folks who might not normally come to church are a little bit more open to that, uh, hence why we're thinking about these things now. Um, and if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't ad- identify as Jesus, uh, as a follower of Jesus, I'm actually especially happy you're here because you get to hear about one of the primary purposes of the church, one of the primary purposes of current, and that is to help people know Jesus, for, for Christ followers to point people to Jesus. I'm excited for you to hear about this because it seems to me in our society at large, most of the time when we think about uh, evangelism or Christians sharing their faith, it's more of a thing we balk at in our culture. Maybe that's been your impression oh no, what's getting ready to happen sort of thing. But I'm excited for you to hear about this because I'm hopeful that in, this, in what we talk about today and what we see in this story, you will see that often the way that Christians maybe out there are sharing the faith don't tend to be in ways that don't tend to necessarily be the most helpful or maybe all that biblical. For instance, Bible-thumping judgment statements or soapbox preaching. I hope that today you can hear what are we about? What, how are we to go about this important task of sharing this good news. Um, so Christians today, come back to you, in a very practical way as we get, we get going here, be thinking about somebody in whom or, or to, in, or for whom this message could apply to in your life. Um, so what we see here today is a beautiful picture of how we can put people before Jesus. Um, um, so we're going to be looking at that. How do we go about helping others toward understanding and receiving Jesus? Number one, we see here uh, intentional community comes into play. Intentional community. Look at verses 17 and 18. Both are going to be up on the board for you, but I'm going to look first at verse 18. The story here is some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. I love this. Here's these four guys. By the way, Mark's account, he writes about this in his his book, Mark chapter 2. He tells that there's four guys here, four friends, uh, who brought their paralyzed uh, friend uh, before Jesus. And that really was their goal, to bring him before Jesus, to lay him before Jesus in the hopes that Jesus might heal them. And before any of this story gets played out, we already know that these guys really love their friend. They have already been extremely intentional in loving their friend in community. How do we know this before the story even gets going? Look at the context to what Luke is saying in setting this story up. Back in verse 17, one day Jesus was out teaching. People who were were coming from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, that is all across the, the province and the city, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In other words, Luke's saying, People really wanted to be around Jesus for at least two reasons. One, he was a great teacher. People were coming out to listen to him. He was compelling in his reasoning. He was uh, engaging. And people wanted to come out, learn from him, uh, understand from him, grow from his words. So people were coming out to listen to the great teaching that he had. And second of all, it says that he was a great healer. If you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you know that Luke has been describing Jesus as this wonderful healer. Even whole towns bringing out all of their sick, all of their disease, out to see Jesus in order for him to heal them. And he's taking care of needs. Here's what really strikes me, therefore, then, about these four guys who are bringing their friend to Jesus, this intentional love of theirs. Before the story even plays out, we know that they really, really care for this guy in this sense. Everybody else is saying, hey, I really want to get out there and see Jesus. Well, let me put it this way. 
each of these four friends could have been saying, you know what, I want to go hear this great teacher. I want to go learn from this dude. Or they could have been saying, I want to go see this great healer. Maybe he'll take care of my needs. But what is their knee-jerk reaction? What prompts them to be a part of the story as we have it is their love for this friend. They're thinking first about this dude, this guy who needs Jesus' help and how they can put him before Jesus. That's intentional love. One of our values here at Current is to be others-focused. If you come to one of our welcome lunches, this is one of our values, part of our DNA, what what makes Current Current. We want to be others-focused. We want to be others-centered, not self-centered, but others-centered. Does this mean that we don't want to take care of our own needs as as followers of Jesus, as a church, that we ought not to to do those sorts of things, to seek Jesus, to grow in him ourselves? Of course, that's not what I'm saying. But we cannot do that at the expense of reaching out to others, to being others-focused. For if there's anything, if there's a foundational thought about uh, from, from what we learn about who Jesus is and what he was about, we know that we need to be for others. We need to be thinking about others. We need to be looking to take care of others' needs before ourselves. We need, and when it comes to sharing our faith, this is where it starts. It starts with having a love, if you're a follower of Jesus, so much for the coworker, the friend, the loved one, that God has you around to say, you know what, I love them so much to the point I can't help but want to bring them before Jesus, as it were. Uh, recently, a few on our team got the chance to share a current story and learnings in a church planting seminar uh, a few weeks back. And, and one of the team members who uh, regularly brings quite a few folks out to current, tries to get new folks connected, um, shared about what we're talking about in response to a question that was asked. Cindy was sharing this with me. Uh, this, this person said that within the first 15 minutes of their first, on their first Sunday at Current, uh, she had been connected to a whole round of people who go to the same grad school as her, and then a whole other round of people who were alumni of the same place where she went to as, in her undergrad and left feeling very, very welcomed uh, and wanting to then pay that forward. Uh, so uh, she was pretty real about it, Cindy was sharing in, 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 in this discussion, that when it comes to bringing new folks or it comes to identifying new folks on a given Sunday here, it does come at a cost because that means she can't uh, connect with others in a way that she otherwise might uh, want to or chit-chat with folks that she has been connected to with herself, but rather she's thinking about this person she's either brought or another person where it's one of their first few times who've come and actively thinking, okay, how can I be thinking about them as others were thinking about me when I was in that place? How can I be thinking to include them, for instance, in lunch plans? How can I be thinking about uh, inviting them or connecting them to a small group, whatever it might be, saying that there is a cost there, yes, but it is so worth it. Um, I love that because when I heard this, I was like, that's it. That's what this is all about. That's what we are trying to be about here at Current. When you think about the vision of what God's placed in us as a community, it's to love folks intentionally as a community. Like these four guys who were thinking about their friend uh, before themselves and going to great lengths, which we'll look at here in a moment, to love their friend, we need to be outward focused, continually thinking about how do we serve and care for others. Um, if you've been around for any length of time, I hope you've heard and reheard over and over uh, a very central verse to us here at, at Current in terms of what we're trying to be about. In John 13, Jesus said these words, a new command I give you, he said to his followers, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That word love is a very nuanced word in the Greek language. In, in, in the Greek language, there's a number of words for love. And he, he chose the word agape, a very, a very nuanced word for love, the greatest of all loves. It's the love of selflessness, of self-sacrifice. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love others. That's a big statement. I mean, Jesus loved others through and through. He said, we have to love others uh, the same way that we've loved. When Jesus loved these disciples, these first followers of his, this is before they even knew him or what he was about, or what he had come to do. He loved them so that, so that they would be brought into the faith, and that through that, he could then offer through them this love that he makes available to everybody. He said, by, the, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's he saying? He's saying, if you want to help people know who Jesus is, especially, by the way, in a culture like this, that people are rejecting Jesus and Christianity for any number of reasons, by the way, all of which aren't really for Jesus himself, but are reasons for Christians. You know, when I ask you, what, what is Christianity all about? A lot of my friends will say a political party or, an, or a certain agenda. Uh, surveys show that it's uh, the top three reasons that people will reject Jesus are hypocrisy, self-righteousness, judgmentalism. People are rejecting Christianity for reasons of Christians and not because of Christ. But as tragic as that is, that's also our opportunity as a church to point to, to who Jesus really is. Take, for instance, self-righteousness. Jesus ripped into all three of these things. If you think about self-righteousness, the gospel is you don't have righteousness on your own, Jesus said. But I give you my righteousness. And so if Christians, if this has been your experience, are there saying, hey, I know better than you, I'm, I'm more holy to you, they wouldn't say it that way, but if it comes across that way, it goes very much in the face of what Jesus actually says the gospel is all about. And that's saying, boy, we don't have our act together, and we need the one to help us who came to be our righteousness for us. So instead of a top-down, nose-up-high type faith interaction, we should actually be humble people presenting who Jesus is, this is our calling, and Jesus says, as you do this, as you love one another in community, all people will know that you're my disciples. Here's our insight at current to what this means. We want to steward this community for the sake of people knowing Jesus. Do we want to love each other? Absolutely. Do we want to help each other grow and build up in the faith? Absolutely. But we need to steward this community that God has gifted us with for the sake of helping people know Jesus, come to know him, uh, maybe even put their faith in him. So how can we steward things like this? How can we steward and be intentional with community? Okay, we're back to Thanksgiving and Christmas. How can we use Thanksgiving and Christmas to steward intentional community? Maybe it's a Thanksgiving party. Maybe it's around the Thanksgiving holiday. Christmas, sure enough, there's a lot of parties that we can, could you host? Could you invite current friends to? Could you invite friends who aren't a part of current to be a part of it? Guys, you guys know the statistics in the area. I was talking to somebody Yesterday, the day before, how lonely people are in the Silicon Valley, how lacking of community people are. It has to be because of the cost of living, because of the fierce competition, all that sort of thing, that people are so driven, they don't have any time. I don't know what it is, too tired, but people are really lonely in the Silicon Valley, and we can love people, if nothing else, but for that. And for the sake of helping people know who Jesus is, be intentional, inviting them in, uh, caring for them in community. 
One of the ways we can help folks really know who Jesus is in an area that people are actually very much uh, rejecting Christianity, sadly as that is, is help people into the faith through intentional community. Uh, These four men were very intentional for the sake of laying their friend before Jesus. How can we do the same? How do we go about helping others toward understanding and receiving Jesus? One, it's an intentional community. And then number two, it's with a mindset of it's worth the risk. Check out verses, uh, verse 19. Uh, when they could not find a way, that is, to lay their paralyzed friend before Jesus, because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, as this story starts to play out, we see that these guys went to great length, paid great cost, uh, were willing to face much risk for the sake of loving this dude. For instance, take their physical toll that this must have uh, had on them. This week, I, I, um, I had to carry a really heavy object that there's no way I was going to carry myself. It was about the, the weight of, a, of a, a, a dude, okay? And I got two other people to help me carry this thing, and it was a pain. We actually had to walk up some stairs. It was not pretty. Some of you guys know I have a physical condition, which made it all the more crazy. But with three dudes, it was really hard. So I know that these guys had four guys, but I'm telling you, we didn't go that far of a distance. Who knows how far these guys traveled? If anything, Luke seems to suggest that these guys traveled a ways. He's talking about people coming from Judea, the, the, the province, the city. Even if these guys had come from down the block, it would have been really physically taxing for these guys. And yet they were willing to do that. You think about the, the time commitment that these guys had to take out of their day to go ahead and love this guy in the way that they did. You think about the financial cost. I love this. Mark's account, when he's telling this story, says that these four friends made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Could you imagine if you were the owner there and you saw this all happening, how that would have played out as these four guys emerged, like, you know, as the building materials and the tiles started, like, falling down. These four dudes, like, emerged. Oh, yeah, there's Jesus. No, we got to move over here. I don't know. Could you imagine that case? And and being the owner, here's what I would have been thinking. You are going to pony up and pay for that. (laughs) These guys were willing to go take financial cost in order to love these guys. I love their friend. Think about the social pressure. The social pressure in terms of uh, what, was at, what these guys were willing to face for the sake of loving their friend. So, okay, we, we imagine if you were, you were the owner and you saw this all happening. Imagine if you were in the crowd. Imagine if, like, you know, these building materials start to fumble away, and you're in the crowd. What, what would you be responding? How would you be responding? I imagine some of us would probably be like, ooh, this is cool. It's going to be entertaining. Let's see what happens. But there would have been plenty of people being like, I just traveled a real long way to listen to Jesus. I want to listen to him. By the way, that's messed up to that owner. And all those, you know, we, we know how crowd policing happens today on the internet. Imagine that back then. Uh, and for that matter, I wonder how they got this guy down. They probably didn't bring rope, which is how I always envisioned. I thought about it this week. They probably like lowered the dude down and figured somebody would go ahead and help the guy down in front of Jesus. There's a lot of social pressure that these guys no doubt face, and then perhaps greatest of all, consider the spiritual risk. Consider the faith risk that these guys were uh, uh, facing here. Could you imagine? These guys go through all of the effort to bring this guy to Jesus. They, they face 
They face all of these random pressures and costs to get him there. They get him down there before Jesus. What do you think they were thinking in that moment? Boy, I hope he comes through. What if, what if, he, what if God doesn't do something here? Uh, they were facing a lot a lot of pressure. They were, they were willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it took to get their friend before Jesus. On so many fronts, Christian friends, are you willing to do the same in order to put your friends in front of Jesus? Or is it more something that, you know, I'll do if it happens to work out, or if it fits just perfectly into my schedule, or if it's something that's comfortable enough? Like these guys... Like these four friends, we need to be willing to become inconvenienced and uncomfortable for the sake of loving others towards Jesus. Um, which of these on the screen comes least naturally to you? Which would be the hardest for you? I mean, take, for instance, the physical toll. Uh, what does that mean in like our terms? Maybe, maybe you're just, you get really tired at the end of the day because you're working a Silicon Valley job. You know, you're so tired that you don't, you don't have time or energy left in you to have... Uh, meaningful conversations at work, the time commitment. We all know that time is crunched here in this area. How can we make time to uh, do these sorts of things? The financial cost. This was kind of amusing to think through. What does this mean for us? If these friends were willing to like take absorb a financial cost or at least potential financial cost, what does that mean for us? Do we pay people to put their faith in Jesus? Okay, no. Actually, here's a really interesting one. Does this text mean that because they vandalized property, we should vandalize for Jesus? No, no, no. I think what this is saying as we think about it and we try to understand it for ourselves is kind of in the same way that we budget, we plan for, or maybe even we impromptu will pay for groceries, the bills, uh, entertainment, all these sorts of things, you know, the whole list of it. In the same way, can we do those sorts of things, be prepared to do those sorts of things for the sake of loving others, caring for others? One of our values here at Current is to be generous. We want to be a community that is generous. Why? Because God has so generously given to us. How can we not generously give to others? Yesterday, I was at a restaurant and I, I was blown away by the customer service. It was, a, it was at a place where the type of food you ate, you needed mints afterwards. These guys brought really nice gum afterwards, not just like little cheap mints, really nice gum, which whatever, that, that probably doesn't do anything for you. But you go into the, the bathroom, there was, they had toothbrushes and like toothpaste. I'm like, wow, these guys are going all out. But not just like that sort of thing. They had diapers in the bathroom. They had, you know, any number of all these little things that the sauce bar was like free. And, and now I understand that a restaurant is a for-profit business, and they want me to have a good time, so I want to come back, and so on and so forth. But having said that, I also feel like there was something about, man, these guys really care me. They really care for their customer. You saw it in their service. Or think about this in terms of like the relational component. So for instance, we had, you know, uh, I was I was at a uh, church planning incubator recently, and uh, they were asking an opener, like icebreaker type question of saying, you know, what is the most memorable gift you've ever gotten? And what does this tell you about? Uh, what does this tell? Uh, what, what, what does that tell us about you? And I said, hey, yeah, there's any number of things that probably could be at the top of the list. But what most quickly comes to my mind is when a couple of birthdays ago, a number of friends, actually friends from, from here at Current, uh, went and they, they purchased a really nice uh, speaker, like one of those sound bars that allows the music to come out of my TV uh, for me. And I remember when they gave this to me, I was just blown away because it was so generous. 
like they had thought about something that I just wasn't buying for myself, and they had put something, like this speaker wasn't cheap. And I remember when they gave it to me, I was just like, I was so moved. Like, I started tearing up. I had to like, you know, it was a bunch of dudes. I was like, I can't show this to these guys. But I was just like, before I even used the speaker, which has been nice. By the way, we use it for Alpha, and we show these videos. It's wonderful. But before I even used any, like that speaker, I was already like, the, the gift is like icing on the cake. You know what I'm saying? Because in that action of generosity and their love for me financially as a part of it, they were loving me in a way I was just like, my goodness, I love these guys. Are you following me? And I think, here's the, here's the, the, the message for us. When we think about like the financial, how much more should we love folks? Again, not like to manipulate them into loving Jesus, but for the sake of just loving, putting our money where our mouth, you know, for the sake of loving, caring for, what does this look like in Thanksgiving, Christmas, hosting parties where, hey, you know, you buy the turkey, you, you buy, you know, maybe you're going to have a big enough party, you have, to, you have to rent the club room. I don't know what it means, but just doing something in order uh, um, for, for, to, to, to love people in that way, as these friends show to us. Maybe it's the social pressure. If you're, as a Christian, are going to share your faith, are going to live out your faith in the Silicon Valley, it's going to take social pressure. <laughs> It's going to take social risk, even if you don't do it in the ways that we've been kind of like mocking of like the Bible-thumping judgment statements or the soapbox preaching. If you just live it out subtly, but you intentionally do it, you're going to face social pressure. You know that. But do you remember before you put your faith in Jesus, do you remember the person who that friend, that coworker, that family member, whatever it might, whoever it might have been, how they stepped out and despite the social pressure loved you in that way, pointed you to Jesus, told you about what Jesus had done for you. And then the spiritual risk, what if you go through all these things, you know, the physical toll, the time commitment, the energy, you know, to become uncomfortable for all this sort of thing, and then what if God doesn't show up? What if you, say, bring them out to a service, and it actually ends up, David confuses them more than anything else. Uh, what if... Uh, they have a bad time. Any number of what ifs, like the men, the, you know, man, if Jesus doesn't show up here and heal this guy, this is going to go south real quick. Um, do we trust God with the process? How do we go about helping others toward understanding and receiving Jesus? One, it's an intentional community we see here. Two, we see these guys are saying it's worth the risk. And three, we've come now to trusting Jesus to do his thing. We've got to trust Jesus to do his thing. Verse 19 into verse 20, they lowered him into the mat, through the tiles, and into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love this. Consider this for, for a moment. How big of a disappointment this must have been for the friends. You with me? Because we could read this Bible story, and even if you didn't grow up in the church or really read your Bible all that much, you're like, ooh, sin's forgiven. That sounds, that's a good thing. That's Think about all what that these guys didn't know that we know today. Their friend gets before Jesus. Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. They're probably thinking, that's not what we came here for. Right? Here's this spiritual teacher. Not, we've gone through all this trouble to bring our, our paralyzed friend before him to get some healing. To, and he's concerned more with the spiritual side of things. Can you imagine how confused they were? How disappointed they must have been? But of course, that's the point, isn't it? That Jesus was doing something infinitely greater than what they had hoped or imagined would happen. 
Jesus knew what the man's real need was, his greatest need, something far more precious than regaining the use of his legs or getting the use of his legs for the first time. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he did not mean that the paralyzed man was especially sinful or that his paralysis was directly caused by sin. Instead, he was addressing the man's greatest need, the common root of all pain and suffering. That is humankind's sinful condition. And that is what is so amazing about the story. The story's climax is not the dude getting up and running around. That's anticlimactic. The climactic part of the story is dude's sins were forgiven, and Jesus called him friend. The Son of God calling him friend, offering him a restored relationship with God, calling him friend. You know, Jesus goes on to heal this man, and the teachers of the law there cry foul. Only God can forgive blasphemer, which, by the way, was a huge accusation back then. That was punishable by stoning. You can't say that. And so here we are with this really tense scene, okay? Everybody is really tense. The teachers of the law are really tense. They're probably thinking, hey, do we need to start finding stones? Uh, The friends on the roof are probably really tense. What's going down here? How's this going to play out? The crowd is probably tense. Like, what is going on? I didn't expect this when I showed up. The paralyzed man is no doubt tense. The only one not tense is Jesus. Look at verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. In this very tense of moments, Jesus is the only one not tense because he had the perfect peace knowing what he was getting ready to do. Um, here's what I believe this means for us. If it, do we know what's going on with our friends, our loved ones, our neighbors, our coworkers, whom we try to bring before Jesus? And Are we going to understand the timing of it or how God's going to necessarily move in, in a given circumstance? What if God doesn't show up? Will we have that sort of fear? This story, and many others, tell us that 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 fear need not be there. Uh, Why not? Because although we might not understand how or why things are playing out the way they're playing out, we do know that Jesus loves folks far more than we do, and we do know he's more invested in caring than we are. And what's more is if you look at the story, it says Jesus looked at their faith and said, friend, to the paralyzed man, friend, your, your sins are forgiven. He looked at their faith Theologically speaking, does that mean that this guy received a restored relationship, salvation, because of, the friends of, uh, because of the faith of others? I don't think we can draw that conclusion because so many places, all other places in the Bible say we must receive this for ourselves. And commentators are quick to say this man in his own way did respond for himself when he responded to Jesus the way he did. But still, there's a principle here, and that is in faith we need to do our part to love others, to bring them before Jesus as we can, and trust that God's going to do the rest. Um, In other words, Christians are not in the business of forcing people to make a decision for Jesus. That's absurd. But as absurd as that is, I think Christians can often live from that practically. How come God's not showing up, or will he show up? I think those are all from a mindset of we're not trusting God 
that he knows best, that he's going to do it. We're not in the business of forcing people or thinking that it's in our own strength. What we, what we are in the business of is presenting clearly, lovingly, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. At Alpha this week, we, we, we considered a verse in the Bible of G, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And whoever enter, uh, uh, opens the door that I might enter, I will enter and eat with them and they with me. I love that. At the end of the day, we just have to make the decision to follow Jesus on our own. But he's not out there looking to break the door in. He's not out there necessarily pounding away. He's just knocking. Just a simple knock. And we have to make up our own minds uh, what we're going to do with that. Um, If we will receive him and, and what he offers for us through what he's done for us on the cross, giving us forgiveness of sins. Um, this is what we're all about, friends, as a church. This is what we're, we're in the business of, is coming before Jesus. Yes, first for ourselves, receiving the goodness of him, the forgiveness ourselves, and also helping others understand that that same forgiveness, that same love is available to them. How do we do this? Intentional community, a community with a mindset of it's worth the risk and trusting God that he's going to do his thing. So let's think again, let's close with this thought of Thanksgiving and Christmas. There are a lot of wonderful things going on with Thanksgiving and Christmas that if you're a believer in Jesus, you can really benefit from. I can really benefit. We ought to benefit from these things. We ought to enjoy them, celebrate them, grow because of them spiritually, But let us, like these friends, not just leave it there, but intentionally be thinking about those in our life that God's put around us. Who are some people? Who is a person? Maybe names that just come to your mind as as I'm even saying these words that God might be putting on your heart that you can be praying for, who you can be actively helping come before Jesus. Let's pray.